Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Don't tell me it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The Medicare podcast that makes hay while the sun shines. His godfather in Oklahoma fixed the knees of Gail Sayers, Medicare expert Doug Jones. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Guess what we have for you today? Another thrill-packed, exciting episode of Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And uh, this is a special thrill-packed, exciting episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast because it is the day after Labor Day and we're back at work. And frankly, it is uh, a pleasure to be here. There was a time when I didn't really enjoy working that much. But that was when I was younger and dumber, and I hadn't found my calling. Now I have my calling. And what is my calling, you might ask? My calling is helping people get through the mess and the mess and the morass and the maze of Medicare. And the way I do that is to encourage them to purchase my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. That book is on sale at barnesandnoble.com or at amazon.com. And when you go to either of those two websites and put in the title, don't forget to put in the numbers, the year 2023, after the title, Medicare for the Lazy Man. That way you'll be assured of getting the current edition, if you're listening to this in 2023, that is. And you will be uh, confronted with a another choice to make, not just whether or not to buy the book, but which of the many editions to buy. You can buy the Audible edition and just listen. You can buy the uh, Kindle edition and have that downloaded immediately to your reader your device, your Kindle, uh, your ebook device. Your um, other choices are the paperback edition, which is an $8 purchase, and the magnificently constructed hardcover museum quality edition for with a price this year of $22. As I mentioned a few episodes ago, Amazon is raising the rates, the cost to me to put out these books. I can't afford to lose money. I don't mind breaking even on them, but I can't afford to lose money. So our book prices are going to go up the next edition, which will be the 2024 edition. And that will be released towards the end of this year of 2023. Now, it's possible that you're listening to this episode hmm, maybe 500 years from now. You've uh, f- dug up a uh, a uh, uh storage container that happens to have valuable artifacts from the past. And you might actually be hearing about uh, how to deal with Medicare from an ancient, ancient voice far in the past. And that would be me. Well, I'm hoping that Medicare is just the same for you in the future as it is for those of us in the present right now. But all I can do is help people get through Medicare as it exists 
today. And that's what I specialize in doing. So buy the book. You will find yourself to be confident and happy about your encounter with Medicare. And then when you realize that you're going to need some additional mm, fairly inexpensively priced insurance to make sure that your medical protection, your your uh, insurance protection is complete and bulletproof, then contact me by email. The email address is in the book, and I will assist you with those final points to implement your complete Medicare protection plan. And speaking of protection, uh, Randy and I are uh, happy to have you here because we've just celebrated Labor Day and we're all worn out from being uh, having a three-day weekend. It's just something I'm not used to very often. And Randy looks like he could use a nap. So I'm going to suggest that that he mute himself out during the course of this episode and so we don't hear him snoring. How was your weekend, Randy? It was good. We had we had great plans for going out and spending a little time out doing the three day weekend thing. But uh-huh. as it turned out, as happens many times when you work for yourself and run a small business, we had to work. So oh yeah, we, we didn't get we didn't get out of here. Uh, we're going to try to get out and at least have a lunch or something this week sometime. But so far, no cigar, no well, no time off, no nothing. We're still working like the slaves we are. I understand that completely. That's what I did. I spent all of the weekend uh, catching up from stuff that I hadn't done prior to the weekend and then also taking examinations. The insurance industry makes you take examinations for each company that you do business with if you want to be certified to sell Medicare Advantage or prescription drug plans. And in my case, I only sell prescription drug plans, but I still have to take all the same tests. And the tests are the same every year, but they switch the order of the questions around so I can still <laughs> be con- become confused. And so that's what I did all week at taking tests. Oh, man. That sounds like a lot of fun, Doug. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was was tons of fun, but mostly I'm going to be able to help people with their Medicare, uh, excuse me, their Medicare um, drug plans, their Part D prescription drug plans. And so that's uh, that's the upshot of it, or that's the reason that I go through this crap every year. The problem is that they're stopping slowly the commission payments the government has put the squeeze on these drug plans and they're getting to be more competitive and so more drug plans are not paying any commissions at all i used to be able to get about 90 dollars per plan if somebody said i need a drug plan and i would do all the work of showing them here's the cheapest plan for you based on your drugs your location and your favorite drug stores and here's the most expensive, and there are 20 plans in the middle. I suggest the cheapest plan or the second cheapest plan or maybe the third cheapest plan. And sometimes they'll go for my suggestion, and then I get a few bucks from the drug plan company. And uh, that was supposed to be 90 bucks last year. And I sold almost all of the plans I sold were from one company that has the lowest premium. Many of my clients don't take any drugs at all, and I had zero premium income from all the work I did to help these people get their drug plans. I don't mind doing it so much. It's just that, frankly, the drug plan companies are getting a ton of money from the federal government. I think they ought to cut loose a little bit of it to compensate me for me 
telling my clients about their wonderfully priced product. Now, of course, if somebody took a bunch of drugs, that's a different story because when I plug that data into the government website, I plug it into their database, then very uh, various other drug plans come up as being the least expensive for them because when they go to the drugstore to fill some of these prescriptions, the drugstores cost or charge them a um, copay in many cases. So that means that the cheapest drug plan from premium uh, measurement is not the cheapest drug plan for them because I've got to add in the co-pays that they're going to be forced to pay. So uh, those plans still pay a couple of bucks to your agent, which is a good thing because otherwise um, that would be uh, freebies. All I'd be doing is working for free. And uh, that's just not a tenable uh, situation to be in. The other interesting thing is when a couple of these plans stop paying commissions, I started hearing from clients who said, you know, I went to broker so-and-so. Um, there's one big one in Fort Worth, Texas that uh, everybody knows about. And uh, this this client said, you know, I talked to them about drug plans, and they said that they're not certified to sell the drug plan that I thought I should qualify for. So I came to you. Well, it turns out they lied to that client because they tried to sell that client two other plans from the same company. And I got to say, a drug plan company that has three plans, they have to certify to sell all three. So to say that they weren't certified to sell the one that didn't pay a commission, ah, there's a big fat lie. What else are they lying about? Well, they specialize in Medicare Advantage plans. And I believe that that uh, could have opened up a whole can of worms if one had examined their operation too closely. But instead, that client did the right thing. She came to me. I sold her the plan that had no commission. And um, she is uh, a happy client today. And if she ever needs to have another drug plan because her drug needs change, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help her find the cheapest plan. And boy, it turns out that we've burned up the whole <laughs> no randy looked i made you look i made you look um uh, we've got a whole lot of stuff that have has been curated it turns out while i was taking all these exams the content curator has been busy so she had a whole pile of stuff for me to uh deal with today to bring to you the listener of the medicare for the lazy man podcast and so i'm going to start with my favorite thing this was a beautiful thing that arrived well, I was at a restaurant in Cave Creek. Uh, the place is called Harold's Cave Creek Corral. And I was there with a bunch of our Corvette traveling buddies. Um, Randy asked me one time whether, uh, I, I always said we tr the old Corvette traveling uh, group that we have. And he said, well, are they old Corvettes or are they old people? And my answer was yes, <laughs> because they are old Corvettes from the 1960s. That's what we drive across the country in, and um, the people have grown old because we took our first trip in 2008, and it's been 15 years, and somewhere along the line, we all had a whole bunch of birthdays. So we the have cars don't look any older because they're look, fiberglass. They but look you just guys, the same. You guys are not fiberglass. <laughs> we look weather-beaten, don't we? Uh, that's what happens when you drive around in uh, inclement weather. Eventually, it takes its toll on you. So you're absolutely correct. Although the ladies have managed to preserve their looks better than the dudes have. So anyway, I got this um, 
I, you know, my, my phone told me that I had a message. And so I checked and here is the message. It's from a woman named Barbara. And, uh, this brightened my lunch considerably. She said, hi, Doug. I can't believe it's been two years since I signed up for Medicare along with my high deductible plan G insurance through you. She said, I'm so grateful that I discovered Medicare for the lazy man when I was doing all of my research. The fact that I could contact you with my myriad of questions and get straight answers, plus reading your book, has put me on the right path for as long as the Lord wills my life. This past year, I've seen the doctor more than I have my whole life, which was rare, but I guess this comes with age. I have to say, choosing the high deductible was the right plan for me. It may not be for everybody, but I think for most people, it really is the right plan. I still enjoy listening to your podcasts, and I'll never forget how you used my questions in several of them. It seems I'm always learning something new and having a few laughs along the way. This year, I have a sibling turning 65, and I've already turned them on to your book, and I hope he will pursue this with you. Thank you again for educating and for helping so many of us. I'm glad to be one of your clients. Have a blessed day, Barbara. And she lives in Florida. And uh, boy, what a heartwarming message. And so when I got home, I dashed off an answer to her. And I said, uh, Barbara, I was eating lunch with friends at a local Cave Creek, Arizona Emporium when I discovered this magnificent testimonial of yours. I was enjoined from reading out loud at the table. <laughs> you know, I told everybody, hey, listen to this. And everyone went, shut up. We don't want to hear your, your fan mail during our lunch. So uh, I said, uh, Let's see, I was enjoined from reading out loud at the table, so I will be doing this instead uh, during my next podcast recording session, which is today. I hope you can wait a few weeks until your episode turns up in rotation. In the meantime, be assured that I'm very pleased to have served you so well, and I relish the opportunity to do the same for your friends and or neighbors. And of course, dopey me, it's her, her, um, who else, uh, her sibling is turning 65. And I didn't say your relatives, friends, or neighbors. I just said your friends or neighbors. So Barbara, I'm sorry for the oversight. And I said, thanks for the very kind sentiment. So it was, it was a beautiful thing that she expressed to me and I couldn't be happier. It puts a, a very bright, uh, cover, a very bright smile, a very bright, uh, aura on the day when it starts out with something so um, excellent. I did a good thing for somebody and that makes me feel pretty good. Uh, I do have some other items that have been curated for me. One is, uh, it's going to go by pretty quickly, but it's just going to be a reminder that we should not be bullied anymore. We're going to have to rise up together against, uh, people who try to lock us down or to try to order us around. Here's the headline citing rising COVID cases these U.S. hospital systems have now reinstated mask mandates, and these systems are all in California and New York. United Health Services in New York, Kaiser Permanente, Santa Rosa Medical Center in California, Auburn Community Hospital in New York, University Hospital in Syracuse. And the question at the uh, end of the article is, what happened to the end of universal masking? 
In April of 2023, a group of healthcare epidemiologists and infectious disease experts from across the country published a paper in the Annals of Internal Medicine in which they called for an end to universal masking in hospitals and other healthcare settings. And uh, what's happened? Well, the politicians that want to take your life and order you around and make sure that you only do what they tell you you can do, those guys are trying it again. And I suggest to all of our listeners here that if universal mask mandates return to your neck of the woods, that you tell them, give them the big old finger and just tell them they're not going to do that kind of stuff to you because you're not stupid. And uh, that's what I'll be doing where I am. I'm pretty sure that's what Randy's going to be doing also. So we will look for you to join us in uh, not allowing these people to impose their dictatorship on us anymore. Screening tool uses 11 risk factors to predict dementia with up to 80% accuracy. Now, we did talk about a, um, a blood test that was uh, available that theoretically has 80% accuracy. That blood test has to be done early in the encounter with dementia in order to maintain that 80% accuracy. This article is saying a screening tool uh, is uh, able to achieve 80% accuracy, and it uses 11 risk factors. Let's see how complicated this is. It says, could a new risk score help identify who is most likely to develop dementia with accuracy 14 years ahead of the onset? Imagine credit. Uh, Okay, well, maybe there's a reason that the curator did not highlight that particular thing. Imagine credit. <laughs> it's, it's actually the credit for a picture that was removed from my printed article. So forget that I said imagine credit. Moving right ahead, researchers developed an 11-point risk factor score to predict dementia onset 14 years ahead of the typical diagnostic timeline. The score is up to 80% accurate in British populations. Well, Randy and I are descended from British people. I don't know if you have to be in the UK in order for the accuracy to hold, but I'm going to say that uh, this may be worthwhile. It's probably going to come to the United States at some point. So let's get out in front of it, shall we, and see whether this has any, uh, any benefit for us at all. Research suggests that up to 40% trusted sources of dementia up to 40% trusted source. I don't think the words trusted source. I'm going to have to teach the curator uh, how to curate some of the detrius out of these articles. Um, anyway, uh, 40% of dementia cases could be prevented by addressing 12 key risk factors. And these include low education levels, smoking, and hypertension. While several prognostic models uh, exist, to predict, predict dementia risk, they often carry significant limitations. What are the 11 key dementia risk factors? Hmm. So I guess we're going to ignore whatever those limitations were that I referred to a second ago. Uh, pay no attention to the man <laughs> reading the article. So what are the 11 key dementia risk factors? For the study, the researchers examined the healthcare data from the UK Biobank. From 220,000 people, almost 221,000 individuals with an average age of 60 years old. The researchers followed the participants for 14 years. They also compiled a list of 28 risk and protective factors linked to dementia. After analyzing 80% of the 
healthcare data in light of these factors, they identified 11 that strongly predicted dementia risks. And so here are the 11 risk factors, age, education level, parental history of dementia, material deprivation or poverty, history of diabetes, stroke, depression, hypertension, high cholesterol, living alone, and finally, being male. Uh-oh, Randy and I, are, <laughs> uh, we, we sat up and took notice at that one. That is uh, something we can't really fix. We can fix a lot of this other stuff. But uh, in order to test the reliability of these risk factors, the researchers first assessed them alongside the remaining 20% of the uh, biobank data. In doing so, they found that uh, this, uh, these risk factors correctly predicted dementia incidents in 80% of individuals. And then one question farther down, she did highlight. So she knew the risk, uh, the um, content curator knew that I would be interested in this. Why might being male increase dementia risk? And below that, it says medical news today. That's a publication, I guess, spoke with a doctor who was a director of inpatient geriatrics at a university hospital in Staten Island. She's not involved with the study about why being male, uh, but they did talk to her about why being male might be a risk factor for dementia. This may come as a surprise as data so far has suggested that women are at greater risk uh, for Alzheimer's disease in the most common form of dementia. So this doctor said, while there's a higher prevalence of dementia among women due to their longer life expectancy, w some lifestyle factors are more common to men and they may contribute to their higher dementia risk. These include smoking, drinking excessive amounts of alcohol. So far, Randy's keeping score and he's got, he's two for two. Uh, certain occupational exposures to environmental toxins. I guess when you hang around computers, that's likely to happen. So that's why some men have, yeah, Randy's 100%. He's batting 100% so far. And says, uh, then uh, what about psychosocial variables? Uh, these factors are also associated with chronic stress, which can have a direct effect on brain health over time. Uh, this doctor added the psychosocial factors may also produce changes in gene expression, such as increased activity, pro-inflammatory genes, which can negatively impact brain function over time. The study is limited to the metrics it is looking at, but since we don't really know the cause of dementia, we don't really know if we're asking all the right questions or whether we are looking at all the metrics we need to look at when it comes to tracking dementia risk. And the last line in the article has been highlighted for your entertainment. It says, Dementia is a very scary diagnosis, and it is important that patients understand that being at higher risk than others does not mean you will actually get the condition, she advised. Okay, so Randy and I can go back to our alcohol consumption and uh, whatever else it is we do that, yes, yeah, smoking, sure, let's start smoking again. And what would it end drinking? There we go. And there was a third one, too. Oh, uh, occupational hazards, I guess. Okay, so now... Randy would be disappointed if I didn't take a, a short time out to uh, revisit Tony with an eye because she's a girl. And uh, I'm going to uh, grab one from the stack of Tony's or Tony's uh, articles here. And the headline is mom has to pay 100% for skilled nursing. Why? So it sounds like one of Tony's clients might be kind of a crybaby. You know, everybody should have to pay for their stuff. I don't know why this woman is uh, 
supposed to be any different, but dear Tony, please explain why my mom must pay 100% for her skilled nursing stay. She recently slipped and fractured her back requiring a back brace. She was released from the hospital after only a two day stay. I think that might be a clue right there. Ladies and gentlemen, we were offered the opinion of her being placed in a rehab or skilled nursing facility to build her strength back up, uh, back up. Oh, off, we were offered the option of her being placed into a rehab or skilled nursing facility to build her strength back up. Now her Medicare supported or her Medicare supplement. Oh, mm, her Medicare supplement. Now that's the coverage in case you're a new listener to the podcast. That's the coverage that I always recommend. And the only kind of coverage I sell to my Medicare clients, it's a Medicare supplement. Now her Medicare supplement has denied paying anything for this stay because Medicare has said she did not meet Medicare's qualification for a skilled nursing stay. Her current skilled nursing bill is over $12,000. No one explained what the skilled nursing rule was. What should we do? I thought Medicare paid for skilled nursing. Am I wrong? And this is Tom from Bel Air, Texas. Hi, Tom. You are right. Medicare does pay for skilled nursing when one meets Medicare's skilled nursing requirements. Unfortunately, your mother did not meet Medicare's requirements and must pay the total amount. A Medicare rule called Medicare Outpatient Observation Notice, and the acronym they've used for that is MOON, Medicare Outpatient Observation Notice. That began in March of 2017 and has made it harder to qualify. The rule is explained in the Medicare and You handbook titled, Am I an Inpatient or an Outpatient? Learn how an overnight hospital stay does not always mean you're an inpatient, and you may have to pay more for your skilled nursing facility care. The MOON rule is explained in the Medicare and You handbook, and most who are enrolled in Medicare may have missed this information. The handbook states, Staying overnight in a hospital does not always mean that you're an inpatient. You only become an inpatient when a hospital formally admits you as an inpatient after a doctor orders it. Um, you're still an outpatient if you haven't been formally admitted as an inpatient. Even if you're getting emergency department services, observation services, outpatient surgery, lab tests, or x-rays, you or a family member should always ask if you're an inpatient or an outpatient each day during your stay, since it affects what you pay, and it can affect what you'll qualify for, Part A coverage in a skilled nursing facility. Oh, it can affect whether you will qualify for Part A coverage in a skilled nursing facility. Tom, it seems that your family members may not have been given the moon, uh, may not have been given the moon during your hospital stay, your mother's hospital stay. The moon form, this is a form, okay. The, uh, uh, once again, that acronym is Medicare Outpatient Observation Notice. The MOON form is provided in written form that is signed and dated with an oral explanation from the facility no later than 36 hours from the time the Medicare patient begins receiving outpatient observation services. This time limit is considered the new to midnight stay observation policy and extends the time limit to qualify for Medicare paid skilled nursing, Medicare paid skilled nursing. So uh, this is what you and your family members or caregivers need to know when having a hospital stay. Number one, remember the moon rule applies to those on original Medicare 
and not Medicare Advantage plans. Medicare Advantage plans have their own skilled nursing facility qualifications. Number two, discuss the hospital procedure with your physician or surgeon regarding whether this will be an inpatient or an outpatient stay. Number three, remember you only become an inpatient once the hospital, not your doctor, the hospital formally admits you without or with a doctor's order. So you only become an inpatient once the hospital formally admits you with a doctor's order. Number four, you or a family member should ask every day if your loved one is an inpatient or an outpatient. Since your mother was not formally admitted, she did not meet the skilled nursing requirements and Medicare will not pay under Part A of Medicare. And that's the part of Medicare that uh, pays for all inpatient uh, hospital and nursing home stuff. So, Randy, I think this is a good place to uh, shut it down. What do you think? I do. I agree because our 75 cents has trickled through the gauges and we are gone. We have no more time. We have no more money. Thanks to Bidenomics, it seems to be going faster and faster. (laughs) I do have, I'm not going to do it today. Maybe we'll do it in the next episode. People that are listening can, can look this up and maybe have an answer, but I'm going to pose a future stump the Medicare expert question. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. This doesn't happen often enough. And what prompted me to think about this was you were talking about someone digging up a digital copy of our podcast 500 years from now and uh, listening to it and go, well, you know, these guys were pretty good. I hope they say that. (laughs) But the, the stump the Medicare expert question I have for you has nothing to do with Medicare, but... I'm going to pose this question and the people on the podcast can look it up and and send your send their answers to you. All right. So, you know there's only one man-made object that has exited our solar system. Yes, yes, yes. And what is its name? I think it's Pioneer. Uh nope. no. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. Okay. What is it? I, I, so I well it's Voyager 2. Oh, uh, okay. But anyway, here's the question. Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. The scientists and the NASA people that built Voyager 2 yeah. attached something to Voyager 2 that if any aliens or UFO people found it many, many millennia from now, yep. they would be they would be able to tell from whence it came and oh, for boy. why it and for why it came. So I uh, don't answer me today, but I, I want you to be thinking about what that was that they attached to Voyager 2. And oh, by the way, just a little note, Voyager 2 is still communicating with NASA. Yeah, only NASA's just listening, right? They're not really able it, yeah, to tell it to not, do stuff. They're not, they're not trying to get it to do anything. They're just happy that it's still transmitting. And occasionally it goes dark for a while, but then it wakes up and talks to us again. Well, I'm going to look forward to having this question posed because I know a little, a teeny bit of knowledge about this. And NASA did something really dumb, politically correct, but really dumb in connection with this. So, boy, oh, boy, this is a fun thing to look forward to for our next episode. Okay. Well, as I said, we have run out of our money, so we need to shut her down, bring the bus into the station or the train, whichever you're riding. But before I do, I I want you to... Answer this question, if you want to, via email to Doug. And his email is at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. 
That's dbj at mlmmailbag.com. He is a licensed agent nationwide, as we were talking earlier in the episode. Check us out at medicareforthelazyman.com. We would also appreciate you finding a way to give us a review on the book and the podcast. It's always important, and we appreciate it. But last but not least, thank you for joining us. You could have been 100 different places, and you weren't. You were with us spending a little bit of time with Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And I always tell you to keep track of your watch, but sometimes you don't. You have spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma. No more. He's up in the high ground behind Cave Creek, Arizona. Today, I think he is with his army surplus <laughs> binoculars. And I think he even got one of those big green box radios that he can strap to his back. But I'm not sure. I'm going to have to check with him later. But anyway... He is up high, and I'm going to put him in today at about 13,200 feet. That big box on my back is an oxygen tank. But, Randy, <laughs> thank you so much. And, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>